We all have our own relationship with music. For some, it provides some background colour to the day. For others, it's an integral part of life. But technology has changed our relationship with music, both in how we consume it and how we collect it. While it's easier than ever to access an enormous amount of music from every era, genre and country on earth, has it become more difficult to forge meaningful relationships with artists and their songs? How do we keep track of a lifetime's worth of music appreciation and listening? And is it even important that we do? I'm Chris Yates and welcome to Think Digital Futures. The internet has changed the way we relate to music, but this is nothing new. Changes in technology to the evolution of the distribution of popular music have been happening since the very first recorded music found its way onto one of Thomas Edison's wax cylinders. There have been both creative and commercial endeavours that have helped push music into the future. Dr. Liz Giffray is a senior lecturer in communication for the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Technology, Sydney. She says that with every advancement in technology that has happened along the way, there have always been fears and criticisms. Way back when radio came out, people were freaked out. Like there was this big kind of undercurrent in the media that was often led by advertorials that were paid for by record companies or paid for by, you know, live venues and stuff. There was the, the fear that people would never go to see live music if they could just listen to it on the radio. You know what I mean? Or they'd never buy a record if they could just listen to it on the radio. Or they'd never, once music, t once MTV turned up, well, nobody's ever going to bother going to a concert because why would you? You know what I mean? So there's there's always been that kind of fear that people, are once they've got an alternative, they won't buy. But it doesn't, It often what it means is if you're interested, you'll just be, you'll just buy more of it. <laughs> and if you weren't interested, you probably will keep on being not that interested. So when it comes to new technology, History likes to repeat a cycle of hesitancy and panic, with enthusiasm from early adopters, and then if the momentum picks up, general acceptance and eventually normalisation. This is certainly not unique to the music industry. But what happens to the tech that gets left behind? And more importantly for this discussion, the music contained within. Secondhand shops and even antique dealers are often littered with relics from the past. CDs, tapes and records in various states of decay. We know these formats don't last forever unless they are preserved in mint condition in some temperature-controlled vault somewhere. But the biggest issue with preserving vintage formats of music is not what you might think. Yes, records can get scratched, CDs can decay and tapes are prone to all kinds of mishaps. But the real problem is even bigger than that. And we are quickly approaching a breaking point. They're going to decay at a rate that is greater than we're going to be able to catch up and digitize them and remember too that you've got to digitize them in real time so you can't do it at double speed you know you've got to play it all the way out we have 10 hours worth of tape it takes at least 10 hours to convert that because you've got to hit record and let it play through all the way through after 2025 and people argue around you know why that date in particular but they were saying there was going to be this kind of drop off the cliff of things analog stuff that wasn't digitized was going to start we we're basically going to lose it. It was going to start decaying beyond repair. And lots of people assume, oh, well, that might mean because the CD will go rusty or a record will finally warp or a cassette or whatever, whatever. But, I mean, yes, some of that is true. But a lot of what that happens too is it means that 
the infrastructure to play those things on, record players and cassette players and all of those things are breaking down and we're not making the parts to repair them. So that's the issue we've got. And you might know this already, that resurgence of cassettes that's happening at the moment. How many cassette players can you buy? You know, so that's really the key. Like cassettes, you know, live and die as they always have done and have that warmth, which is a euphemism for slowly but surely playing slower and slower and getting more and more warped. You know, that's all, that's all that means. But if you don't have a cassette player, it doesn't matter. Same with record players, different record players, um, the older they are, ironically, the easier they are to fix. Like I've got a couple of, we've got a couple of old gramophones that are much easier to fix that are completely analogue, don't, don't plug in at all, and are much, much easier to fix. But you've got to buy the needles. You've got to buy, they don't make gramophone needles anymore to fit those. You can sort of hope you've got replicas, but once they stop making the parts, then that's where the problem is. And it did kind of happen with iTunes too. When iTunes sort of decided and as any of the companies could at any point it's not so much you're going to keep your downloads it's are we going to keep making the program that you need to play them with because if we stop doing that then it's just zeros and ones you know it doesn't you you can have your zeros and ones but they don't mean anything you know they can't you can't make them make noise it's always a little bit fragile obviously being able to hold something in your hand being able to hold a record or hold a cd or hold a cassette has a different meaning it's not just about how it sounds when it's played back it's all of the other how it makes you feel how the outlet makes you feel the smell of it the you know all of that stuff is something that I guess people that consume music digitally and digitally only don't have that experience I mean they have different experiences you know what I mean they also can play on repeat whenever they want they don't know the the sweet sweet agony as you probably remember of you know living in a share house and going to searching for that one cd you want only to finally find it open the case and realize there's a different cd in that case because your flatmates are moron you know like those types of things there's different experiences and all that kind of stuff so there's no one way to do it and i don't know that there's any way that is necessarily better than the other so has the mass proliferation of music on the internet meant that it's now going to be harder for us to track a narrative on the history of music as it does unfurling or has that been a problem forever While in some ways the storage of a physical format containing music can seem more tangible, it can also be more fragile. In June 2008, Fire destroyed a seemingly innocuous warehouse backlot at Universal Studios Hollywood, but the terrible truth revealed that it contained the master recordings of some of the most famous music of the recorded era. From the original tapes recorded by some of the very first rock and roll artists, like Buddy Holly and Bo Diddley, to the country music innovation of Patsy Cline, to jazz greats like Dizzy Gillespie and Sun Ra, through to more contemporary artists such as rappers 50 Cent and Snoop Dogg and the seminal grunge-era groups Nirvana and Soundgarden, all literally went up in smoke. The true scope of the loss has never really been fully revealed due to the commercial interests of the record label, and it's believed that some of the material may have been archived digitally, but preserving the original tapes is the purest way to have a sense of what was originally intended by the artists and technicians evolved. The answer to the question of how we should archive things more efficiently is kind of simple and the same thing we tell ourselves when working in the digital realm in basically any kind of format. If it's important, back it up. The old adage, if there's not three copies, then it doesn't exist, is more than just paranoia about losing information. It's absolutely crucial. Always keep more than one copy in more than one format. And Stephen Crane at 301 Studios, he was talking about, they'd found, I think it was cold chisel tapes that had literally been covered in crap. Like, you know, they'd been somewhere that sewage had gone over them and he was able to use an oven and bake them. Jeffrey says that not just the music, but the accompanying material, such as the artwork, 
the liner notes or the information about the recording is important to help us properly examine the music in the context of history and also might provide clues into stories that were not told properly at the time. It's not just the, the sound, it's also the artwork, it's also the notes around putting all that together. And whenever, you know, they talk now about when people upload things it, digitally, are they creating that in the first place? You know, you look, you go to Spotify or those digital repositories, how many of them even list the songwriters, let alone the producers, let alone the performers, let alone, you know, all of that metadata, all of those liner note stuff that, again, is that stuff that, you know, you remember so vividly coming home on the bus, reading, opening up the package and reading the liner notes and looking at the pictures and stuff. That stuff often is the last thing people think about when they transfer. And it's a real shame because it's all of that, part of the experience but also part of letting us know who was involved what label was involved and quite rightly who contributed to the artistry you know so you've got to kind of I think we need to think about those things as well yes it's context but it's also you know I'm a I, I consider the history of popular music and popular culture and you know we know that people tend to write the history that they know and that reflects them. So for a long time, the history of popular music has been very male, very white, very cis. That's just because they tended to be the people writing the histories. But, you know, if we've got the original material, we can go back and say, well, actually, next to those three guys that were listed, there were also two women that were put there. Maybe we can look at those stories. It's not that they're not necessarily there. It's just that they haven't been highlighted before. In some instances, they weren't there, but a lot of the times... You have to go looking, you know, in 10, 15, 20, 50 years' time, somebody else will come back, coming back asking questions that we haven't asked, you know. So the more information we can put there, the better, I think. Sydney artist Darren Cross is a musician who has bucked the current trend of putting all his music on as many platforms as possible. Some of this stems from the well-publicised and controversial royalty distribution system that sees artists recompense to the tune of a fraction of a cent for every time their music is streamed. I, I don't want to be a spokesperson for everyone, but for me, it, it doesn't work. It's like um, I read somewhere the other day, you know, like if someone buys one CD from me, it's like listening to my album three years every single day to get the same amount of money. But another reason for his aversion to the streaming services is his own personal relationship with music and what he sees as building connections with his audience through intimate connections at live performances and his fans wanting a tangible souvenir of their night out watching him perform or collecting his music. He also has fans, or if you like, super fans, who collect every piece of music he's ever released. It's weird because I, I played a show last night and the guy, the biggest girling fan in the world was there and he um, collects everything. And he's actually bought demo tapes and he's shown me photos of it. Like he, This is like next level fetish. It, you know, original artwork and all this. Like I don't even know how he's got it. So if, if you're talking about... You know, this is next level. Like, there's people who take it to the nth degree and he's got stuff that I don't even have. Before embarking on a solo career, Cross was a member of the group Girling in the late 90s and early 2000s, the golden age of CD sales before CD copying and so-called illegal music services such as Napster appeared and showed the true potential of the internet to share and distribute digital files, which caused the market to collapse and the industry to falter. Girling had the support of the national broadcaster behind them, as well as a major label deal. They played on all the Australian festivals, literally became big in Japan, collaborated with high-profile artists such as Kylie Minogue and Cool Keith, and were basically taking Australia by storm. Cross saw the boom and bust of that model of the music industry, and this has helped inform why he's decided to pursue a much different path with his solo career. 
CDs had a very low production cost compared to vinyl records or cassettes, and with consumers already accustomed to paying $30 for an album on the format of their choice, LP or cassette at the time, the profit margins for the record labels exploded. So with over 100,000 songs being uploaded to Spotify every day, is it even going to be possible in the future to archive all this music and tell a narrative story of the history? Is that even important? As we know, when things are made digitally, none of us really think about how we're going to hang on to it and in what format too, you know what I mean? You think about if somebody makes things in analogue, there's very good chance that you've got the master tapes, then you've probably got outtakes, then you've got versions of things. Well, how many different Pro Tools bounce outs or Ableton bounce outs or what, whatever program you're using, how many of those are you keeping or are you just keeping the final file that you bounce out, you know what I mean? So there's all of those questions too around it. I don't know that there's an easy answer, but I don't think there ever has been. And I mean, the thing about digital capabilities is it grows so quickly. You know, when it all first started, the idea that an MP3, you could ever have a lot of MP3s just hanging around was pretty, was pretty small, you know, um, because we just didn't think about storage like that we weren't didn't have that capability whereas now who knows and in 10 years who knows again I know that's very unscientific of me <laughs> but I think it is fair to say that you know that's a problem that lots of people are looking at. It seems like there is no one simple solution to how we store and collect and even find music but it's also always been like that. While it now may be less time consuming and expensive to archive at the very least digital copies of music the recent rebirth of vinyl pressing facilities and records becoming popular once again to a more mainstream audience outside of the audiophiles and collectors who have kept it alive, proves that there is a desire for music listeners as consumers to collect and cherish tangible artefacts and copies of their favourite music. As conversations start to develop once again about the sustainability of printing vinyl records, which are themselves a product of fossil fuel after all, will we see new formats explored and experimented with? Will online music distribution become more stable and more equitable to the artists involved? It seems obvious that we have not yet reached a static point in the evolution of recorded music. While it still holds such an important place in our lives and provides us with such an emotional reaction and connection, the distribution of music will keep evolving as the technology does. Perhaps it will even lead the way, being the catalyst for innovation, as it has been for much of the last century. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER Radio. It's broadcast throughout Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Digital Futures is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcast. The music in today's episode was performed, produced and recorded by Darren Cross. We featured the tracks Honeycomb, Honeypot, Pump Up the Doldrums, and Summer Tap, all from the album Keeping Up. You won't find it on Spotify, but you can head to bandcamp.com and buy it there on CD or digital download. You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcast. I'm Chris Yates. Thanks for listening.